You've come to the right place. If you're a course creator looking to build more impact, income, and freedom, LMSCast is the number one podcast for course creators just like you. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of the most powerful tool for building, selling, and protecting engaging online courses called Lifter LMS. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. My name is Chris Badgett and I'm joined by a special guest, Lindsay Halsey from Pathfinder SEO. How are you doing, Lindsay? Good. Thanks so much for having me today, Chris. Absolutely. You, your Pathfinder SEO um, offer is around guided SEO, which I find fascinating. What does that mean? And you're, you're also an ex-mountain guide type person like me too, which is really, I don't meet a lot of in this industry, but what is guided SEO? Guided SEO is a process that we've developed over the last 10 years um, doing SEO for our customers at our agency. And what we saw in this space was that there were two common solutions to getting found in Google, Yahoo, and Bing. The first solution is hiring an agency where they do most of the work for you. And the other solution is um, DIY, where you um, bridge together courses, tools, um, and a lot of sweat equity to try to help get your site um, more visibility in the search engines. And with guided SEO, we actually offer a third alternative path. Um, We give the process that we developed over those 10 years at our agency, along with tools, and then we add in an SEO coach that you meet with once a month. Um, And you can kind of think of it as like your your personal trainer in uh, the SEO space. So for the course creator out there, somebody who's building a training-based membership site, what kind of things go into deciding whether they should be a do-it-yourselfer, be guided, or go to an agency and do full on agency SEO work? Like how can they self-select like who who are these different levels for? Sure. So an agency solution I think is appropriate for somebody who wants to put 20% of the effort in SEO themselves and hire someone to do the other 80%. Um, It requires a, a more sizable SEO budget. Typically you're looking at something, you know, bare minimum $500 or more of a monthly investment And um, somebody who's not really interested in um, being super hands-on in their SEO, but they should also not um, feel like they can 100% outsource this area of their marketing initiative because there are some tasks um, that require collaboration with a business owner, marketing manager, or in this case, course creator. Um, So that's sort of the agency solution, uh, that 80-20 rule being 20% your own effort um, and cost quite a bit higher. If we go to the other side of the spectrum and you're thinking, do it yourself, um, to me, that's somebody that is comfortable with the idea that they may spend 80% of their time learning and 20% of their time doing, and they like um, to piece that puzzle together themselves, sort of like if you're a do-it-yourselfer and you want to you know, build your own um, deck on the back of your house and you've never swung a hammer. So if that excites you, then DIY may be good for you. I'm not really actually DIY in any um, facet of, of my business or, or um, personal life. And I tend to like a little bit more of a hybrid approach. And that's where the guided solution at Pathfinder sort of comes into play. And so here, um, you are doing uh, the majority of the work for you, just like if you were, say, um, decided you wanted to run a marathon. 
with guided SEO, we give you um, the, the process or the map you're going to need to follow to train up for running this marathon. We give you the tools, the gym equipment that you're going to need to use. And then we give you a personal trainer to keep you accountable and help answer your questions. And so in this case, you're doing the majority of the work for you, but you can probably invest about 80% of your time into actually doing SEO, taking action on the tactics that are going to influence the search results, and 20% of your time um, learning about SEO and kind of doing strategy. And so that's uh, a little bit of the breakdown in terms of self-selection. That's beautiful. What kind of things come up on like the monthly coaching call or the uh, like, or does it depend? It depends, but it also follows kind of a standardization of process. So our first monthly coaching call is dedicated to keyword research. I don't know what your experience with keyword research in kind of the course space is, but this is where we find um, the biggest opportunity for people tends to be. And the reason is because keyword research is pretty hard and it's easy to think you want to cast your website into either too big of a keyword space where you're never going to get traffic um, and you're going to fight this uphill battle trying to essentially climb a mountain that's too big for your business um, or cast yourself into something far too narrow and you might get a number one ranking or two out of it, but you end up getting no traffic and thus no increase in sales. So before this call, you were excited about a course creation community and the training membership site people because they're content people. What, what makes you excited about that? Well, content is sort of the backbone of a solid SEO strategy. And this is a place where we really see um, people struggle is putting pen to paper. So they have in-depth expertise. They have a lot to share. Um, but they don't feel comfortable with the writing process. Um, and so with course creators, we actually kind of flip things upside down. Uh, the call I had earlier this morning coaching session was all about why you needed, why this customer needed to have a blog, what they would blog about, how they would, you know, calendar their, their scheduling. When you think about course creators, the content is all right there. The question is, what do we want to give away for free? And what do we want someone to have to be a member or subscriber of, of the course to get? And so the strategy changes. Um, and instead of it being very tactical, you need to write. It's more about what, you know, how are you going to determine what content to give away and what content um, to hold for kind of your membership uh, value add. That's awesome. Well, I have a, a very specific question on that point and it's I don't really know how to ask it without actually asking five questions at once so bear with me while I get it out fire away uh, my understanding is that one of the challenges from an SEO perspective for course creators and membership sites is that because most of the content is locked down behind a login or whatever that it's not really indexed it's not really helping you so that's assumption number one then my next question has to do with um, course creators are really busy. They wear what I call the five hats. They have to be a, um, an expert in an industry. They have to be a teacher. They have to be a technologist. They have to be a community builder and they have to be an entrepreneur. They're very busy people, but they can create content for days. It's not a problem. Videos, audios, text, whatever their MO is or whatever their specialty is. But how do they decide if they are going to create content outside of the course or the membership? for SEO purposes, how do they decide what to do? Should it be on their site? Should it be on somebody else's site? Should it be blogging? Should it be a YouTube channel? Should it be, um, you know, being a podcast guest around the internet? And I'm sure the answer is all those things, but how do they decide where to start? 
without getting overwhelmed. Cause that's the big problem with course creators is they're, they're just very busy and overwhelmed people. So they help them out a little bit here. All right. We'll start with your assumption at the beginning, which is that much, much of the content is locked down and thus the search engines can't get to it. Yeah. And that's a correct assumption. Essentially, uh, the content on a page needs to be fully visible without having to log in um, for the search engines to easily index that content. Um, sometimes you see content where you get to get only so far before you subscribe or before you log in. You see this with like news sites that only let you read the beginning of an article. And then if you want more, you have to upgrade, in which case the search engines can get through essentially the visible or readable content. And then you start to, to cloak the rest, um, depending on your technology. There are ways around that. But for the most part, let's just take that assumption to be true, which is lockdown content, not good for the search engines. Uh, all free content, not so good for business. So <laughs> yeah. we're gonna have to come up with a, a middle ground um, for the busy course creator. And when we talk about um, you guys having kind of a leg up in the space, what I think about is breaking this down into the what, why, when, and how space of content. So the how, you guys have mastered and are probably far better at it than I am and I can start to learn more from your community, which is um, you guys are really good at creating written content, video content, audio content, and could spend days doing so. So you got the how down, we can push that aside. Um, so we need to decide next um, the what and the where. And the what and the where is um, gonna be where the strategy component comes into play. And so when I think about the what, I think about where do or what point in time do I want to meet my potential subscriber, my potential member in their journey on whatever they're learning. And so I tend to want to meet one of those people at a point of pain. So I work in the SEO space and I want to meet someone that's maybe struggling to decide what SEO plugin to use in their website. So I'm going to create free content around that concept because I'm trying to meet them at this point where they're turning to Google and asking a really explicit question that I have an answer for. And, um, and that is a perfect place to create action. Um, if you go back to like building a deck, you're going to meet somebody when they're um, really frustrated um, because they're, they're asking questions in the search engines. And a great place to do this research is in a tool called Answer the Public. So check out Answer the Public and put in like the two phrases, two word phrase that you would use to describe your course content um, and then see this unbelievably exhaustive list of what people are searching for um, and go through and you'll see the what, why, how, when you see verses and comparison questions in this tool and then highlight out of there where you think the person is like the most frustrated and maybe focus some content around that space. Wow, that's that's amazing. I have to ask because I get asked this all the time: which SEO plugin should I use? Like, do you have a, or can you tell us about the article or how, <laughs> sure. what are your no, thoughts on the matter? We'll keep, it, we'll keep it short here for you. Which is, uh, we really love the Yoast SEO plugin, mm -hmm. and uh, for most sites that I do SEO on, we upgrade to premium because it has some really robust tools, but Yoast is definitely the industry leader in this WordPress SEO space in terms of tools and functionality. And uh, so that keeps life pretty simple. What do you get in the premium version that, like what's the main benefit of Yoast Premium? My favorite part of Yoast Premium is the redirect manager. So 
no matter what version you're using in Yoast, you get um, the ability to connect Yoast or your WordPress site to the Google Search Console. And so we're getting a little bit deep into the world of SEO here, but you get those two things connected and you start to listen to where Google is hitting roadblocks in your website, 404 errors. And with, um, with Yoast Premium, it's like a click of a button to basically respond to that conversation. So instead of having to go through a couple different plugins um, and bounce around, I can go through and respond to page not found errors that Google's giving me just really simply. And so as somebody doing SEO quite often for other websites, um, I like the, the speed and efficiency there. For the uninitiated, can you describe the difference between like going to your Google Analytics versus your Google Search Console? Yeah, that's a great question. So Google Analytics, you can think of as your all-in-one marketing enterprise-level analytics suite. Um, it has more data than any of us will ever understand. It's endless. Um, and super powerful. So with Google Analytics, you put this script on your website, um, and every time you log into Google Analytics, you can see almost everything about your visitor behavior except for who they actually are, so that private data. Um, and you can sort and filter and do all sorts of cool stuff. Um, the Google Search Console is really SEO-specific, um, or a little more SEO specific than just a general marketing tool. And I think of it as like my communication tool with Google. So I verify my website over the Google search console, um, to prove, to prove that it is my site or a, a site that I manage. Um, and then they're going to give me back a ton of great data, um, that has to do about things like performance. Um, they give me, you know, what keywords are driving traffic to my site, they give me um, where are they having an uh, experience or difficulty crawling my website. So there is a ton of different data in there that all relates to SEO. And so um, I end up spending more time in the Google Search Console these days than I do in Google Analytics, but that's just because I'm hyper-focused in the world of SEO. You can connect the two and get a lot of the performance data out of Google Search Console into Google Analytics, but you don't get all of the other kind of crawler data and stuff that you can get when you go directly into the search console. So long-winded answer, you need them both. Super awesome. To the, to the previous question I asked you, um, should everybody be blogging? Like, is that a big part, especially a course creator who they're busy, but they know how to, in most cases, create content. Should they be blogging? Yes, we talked a little bit earlier about the where. So we got through kind of the what, what type of content should you be writing or what type of keywords maybe. Um, but then you have to decide where you're actually going to publish this content. And a blog is a logical place, especially if you're in WordPress. The search engines, they love blogs because they have recent content, um, frequently updated content. And it used to be enough in SEO to just simply like blog once a week. And if that's all we did for a client for SEO, we'd see them start getting an upward trend. Now that's sort of a minimum bar. Um, the assumption is that most businesses, especially course creators, are going to be blogging or putting out fresh content. And so now you have to be a little bit more purposeful with the what um, in addition to just the fact that you are blogging, that you're really blogging um, and writing in a manner that the search engines can digest um, to, to elicit meaning out of your content. So putting content on the blog makes a lot of sense. Um, 
And that helps build your own domain sort of trust and authority from within um, because you're showing your expertise in your subject matter um, by giving that content to Google and letting Google display it to others. And that's a big piece of the puzzle. But then there is this other puzzle that, you know, we can create a website that is the most amazing resource on any topic on the internet if we put the time and effort in. Um, but to get trust, and um, we're going to need more authority coming from outside resources that validate um, our subject matter expertise and validate our website um, as a whole. And so that's this whole world of link building. Um, and so when you think about the where to publish content, the other place to publish content is elsewhere so that you can point links back to your website um, as one high quality link building technique. And that's where you start to think about trying to create partnerships and doing some guest blogging on other websites. Can you give us like the top five things that contribute to SEO to being, to having a good, good chance of being in the number one or towards the top? Sure. It's hard to name top five. So we could break SEO into like four pillars. How about okay. that kind That's of approach? Right. And within each pillar, talk about um, kind of the, the big stuff. So the first pillar to SEO I think about is technical SEO. The search engines have to be able to find and index your website. Um, if they can't find it, they can't index the pages and put them essentially in the Rolodex. They can't show those pages. And so when you're thinking about this concept of technical SEO, the things in your toolbox are things like an XML sitemap, robots.txt file, your meta directives, um, maybe your schema markup that's going to allow them to extract more meaning from a page. And I think that this is very foundational because sometimes we see great websites that make one singular mistake in WordPress, which is unchecking the little box um, when they're ready to go live in the site settings that says, let the search engines in, and they sit for months wondering why their site is still not getting traffic. Or and yours. And oh my goodness, uncheck that box. <laughs> yeah. So that's one area um, of SEO. The next area I think of is usability. And so here we're talking about things like site security, HTTPS, responsive mobile design, so I can see it well from any, um, any kind of device I'm using. And then thirdly, um, site speed and performance. So we need our sites to be quick um, to load because no matter how great your content is, how great your web page is, if it loads really slowly, we're all probably out of there. And the search engines are gonna, um, are gonna hit you for that. Today's era, most sites we see are responsive. Most people are using HTTPS. So the tip is to focus on site speed um, in 2019 because that's not going away in the world of SEO. Um, the next piece is content. So we've talked a bit about um, you know, writing content, blogging, um, having quality content on your site, things like page titles and meta descriptions, um, using proper use of H1 tags, H2 tags, things like that fall under this content umbrella. Um, and we've talked a couple of tips there, um, but one that we haven't is, is thinking about those page titles and meta descriptions. It's another thing we see, you know, someone's homepage says home in the page title. It really doesn't give anybody any context about where they're going, except for the homepage of somebody's website on the internet. Um, and then this last pillar is the one we just sort of started alluding to, and that's this world of offsite SEO. And depending on who you talk to, um, this could be like 40% of the game potentially for your business. Um, 
And so it's a really big piece of the puzzle. And it's all about establishing trust and credibility um, through your social profiles um, and through your direct kind of link building efforts from one website to another. That's awesome. What <clears throat> I know sometimes people get in trouble. They, they fall prey to an SEO tactic that's too good to be true. Um, maybe like buying backlinks or from a, and they end up being from a low quality place that ends up hurting them. What are some just SEO related things like that that people should be on the lookout for to avoid or a way to think about SEO to make sure they don't accidentally end up doing something that's, you know, gray hat or black hat or not, not ethical or could potentially be punished for later? I think about it as the neighborhood I hang out in. Yeah. So if something raises that little like red flag of is this a neighborhood I want to hang out in? Um, then if it, if it even just like tips the scale, then the answer is no, don't go there. Um, and so if it seems too good to be true, that's, a, you know, that certainly is a red flag. But I also just think like, what kind of association am I going to get for my business, for my website um, via this opportunity? And um, oftentimes, you know, so that that's the biggest red flag, I think, is where, where are you going to hang out? And is it going to be something you want to tell your mom about? Okay. That's good. That's good. What is some, uh, low hanging fruit? If there is a DIYer out there, uh, what's one area they could look at to optimize or know, just know about to help with their website ranking? Like it what's depends. that low hanging fruit? Sure. Like you come in and they're like, Oh my gosh, you just change these couple things and that's going to do a lot. Like, what is that? So at Pathfinder SEO, we go through a scoring rubric to identify the singular pieces of low-hanging fruit for different websites okay. um, so that we can prioritize our effort there. So yes, we have a process that we apply for everybody, but we want to know where you are in sort of our 100-point grading scale um, to quickly elicit out um, you know, what are the top three or four action items that we can take that are going to have an influence on our, our traffic today or tomorrow. And so when we start to look at where this grading process that we've been doing for hundreds of sites over the years, when we start to look at this grading process and where we tend to see the low hanging fruit, um, page titles and meta descriptions, almost everybody needs some improvement there. Either they're missing, um, they're too long, too short, they're not keyword focused. There's almost always something we can do there. And that's going to help influence not only your rank, but also your click through rates. So you might be number one for a search term, but people are clicking on the second result because they have more engaging text in the search engine results page. So fine tuning those page titles and meta descriptions can be a quick win um, for performance and traffic. Site speed, pretty much across the board, everybody can make some improvements um, in performance and site speed. And then the last one is really the link building area. It's, it's the piece of the puzzle that is the most um, nebulous. Everyone's a little scared because there was the era of the buying of links. And so now that that era has passed, they, people are afraid that what they're doing might be considered gray area or shady. Um, and they just don't even want to touch it. Um, but there are great ways to build links um, and other ways to think about link buildings. And I think about link building as partnerships online. So we all have these relationships in our everyday life um, and in our businesses. And what we're trying to do for the search engines is model those relationships online. 
And we do that via links. So we show who our friends are and what we're associated with by linking out to other content and vice versa, having links come into our site. So if you really think of it in this like natural relationship oriented marketing way, link building actually becomes fun because uh, it makes just total logical sense and doesn't feel spammy or gray hat. Yeah, because I think the reality is we're all six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon or whatever that is. <laughs> right, that's like, what they say. If you think about those web of relationships, that's it's pretty natural, I guess. Um, I have a, let me put you on the spot for maybe a harder question that uh, comes up a lot in the course building community, which is um, a lot of time, not all the time, but sometimes people end up where they're using multiple websites. Like they have a marketing site <clears throat> and then they have a subdomain for let's say the membership or the course that maybe like they have a separate site for like a podcast or something like that. And they end up like, like architecturally breaking, breaking up their home on the internet into multiple places uh, for various performance or, you know, different reasons. Does that hurt people from an SEO perspective or not really? Like, is it better to have, from an SEO perspective, an all-in-one website, or does it really not even matter? It matters. There's not a singular answer, but if you had to make some kind of best practice assumptions, to me, it makes sense that your blog, your big content hub that's for the search engines lives on your main marketing site. So you consolidate the um, domain authority and trust that you're building into your www.mybusiness.com all there with your marketing materials and your blog happening there. And then your course could be over on a subdomain or something like that. That's going to be fine because your course is password protected um, once somebody is a subscriber. So that's um, to makes total logical sense. In fact, that's really how we built Pathfinder SEO. We've got our marketing site and then app.pathfinder.seo. And that works great for SEO. Um, and then if you start to get into this other content type like podcasting, um, you basically have two choices. Put that podcast on uh, my main marketing website or create this other website for my podcast. And I think it depends on how well aligned the podcast is with your business. So if your podcast is a direct overlap um, with your main course marketing website, then maybe, yeah, you have um, just a subfolder on your main marketing site, you know, .com slash podcast, and you place it there. Um, and that'll be a great way to kind of build everything under one roof, um, really consolidated. But an argument can easily be made um, for when that overlapping circle isn't quite um, as strong as an overlap, maybe a different brand name for the podcast versus um, the product or the course. And so there it makes total sense to have a separate um, website. And what you want to do is be funneling some of the value from your podcast website over to your product or over to your course. Um, and you can do that with links. And so here you're building like an offsite trust resource that's pushing back and that's good for SEO too. That's awesome. Well, since I'm getting some free consulting here, I'm going to ask you one more, which is, Fire away. <laughs> uh, I, I, I had an issue and I know lots of other people feel the same way where it's easier for them to podcast than it is to blog. So a lot of people will sometimes gravitate, they'll blog less, they'll podcast more, they'll get the podcast transcribed. So there's that transcription on the page. Um, is that any better or worse to have like a transcript? I've heard different things. I don't know. But does it, does the blogging versus podcasting really matter one way or the other? 
I think it depends a bit on the medium. So if you go back to the what and what you're talking about, um, you need to maybe instead of just doing what you'd prefer to do, which is potentially talking instead of having to write, answer the question of, okay, here's the topic I wanna to talk about, is does this better suit itself where the core content type on this page is gonna be the written word, audio word, or video word, or some hybrid thereof, and be strategic and really call that out. So what, how, you know, if I'm gonna answer this question, how am I gonna do it in a really effective way for my users? Um, and if you go user first, you're gonna be inherently going SEO first because that's what the SEO world is, has moved over to is it's all about the user. And so thinking about the content that you're talking about and deciding what uh, medium makes sense um, or hybrid of mediums is sort of step one. And if you do go over to the podcasting world, then transcriptions are helpful because they give the search engines that meaty text um, that makes it really easy for them to know what the podcast is all about. I had another one for you, which was, about engagement. I feel like people don't comment as much more on posts, uh, on blog posts. I mean, certain things, definitely. There'll be hundreds of thousands of comments, but uh, it seems like commenting isn't as strong, but I'm sure that Google cares about like time on site or, you know, how many people link to it as a form of engagement. Like what, what are some of the factors that, that search engines look at for engagement? Like, to tell like, oh, this is a hot topic here. This is important. That's a good question. So there's always speculation as to the fact of, you know, what is Google doing with big data? Yeah. Um, and they've got their Google Analytics data. And so how much do they use things like time on page to then potentially reverse back into the search engine algorithms? Um, and, and so there's a lot of speculation on what that relationship looks like and how that's evolved over time. Um, but it's not a direct ranking factor. So, you know, having your grandma sit on your favorite blog post for an hour and like boost up your average time on page is not going to impact your SEO. <laughs> um, and, but it is a, a unique tactic that people think click through rates, you know, how likely someone is to click on content in the search engine results. Um, that might be an area, but it's another area that you, you can't really game. Like you don't want to go and pay someone to just click on your links or something like that. That's not um, an SEO best practice tactic. Um, and so when you're thinking about a, a piece of content that you really want to have strong performance, um, you then think, well, maybe I'll use some paid social. Um, I'll take this piece of content, I'll put it out on Twitter, I'll put it out on Facebook, and I'll boost this post. And then Google should figure out that I got a ton of engagement with this content, and it is the best piece of content in this given area. But you circle back around to this concept that uh, social can be bought. So you yeah. paid to get that engagement. Um, and even though it was really strong engagement, it's not going to be weighted very heavily in the search results because... Um, it could be purchased or bought. It's also really complex for the search engines to model that social web. So you're still not really hitting like the nail on the hammer on how to get this content um, really aggressively picked up in the search engines. And instead, what I think about is deep linking. And so deep linking is when you point a link um, from an external website into your website, but it doesn't go to your homepage or your FAQ or your pricing page. It goes deep into the site, into a blog post or into a much deeper level page um, and comes from a really purposeful uh, location. And so if you write a great piece of content that you want to get out there, then you have to think about, okay, well, who's this really applicable to and who can I get to actually link directly into this? 
Um, and you can think of like maybe getting published in like a, a monthly news roundup that like a um, online publication might do. That would be a really great deep link from their blog to your blog where your blog is listed amongst the five best pieces of content in your um, content area. And that would be the kind of link that's just like a home run for SEO. That's awesome. Uh, one more question I get a lot about blogging or just regular pages is the length. Is there really a minimum? Like, does it have to be at least 500 words or does it really need to be at least a thousand words or 2000? Is there, does it really matter? There's no definitive minimum or maximum. And you want to go back to user experience um, and the search engines, you know, you're going to, you want to look at other competing content, see kind of how long those pieces of content you want to think about, well, how long did I think it would take for me to answer this? Um, is it a definitive guide and it's going to take me 3000, 5,000 words? Um, or is it just like a singular little, um, nugget of information that I can unpack in two or three paragraphs. So it's content, um, specific and recommend people really check their competition around that um, keyword space or that piece of content. And then just always focus back on the user and say, did I do a good job, you know, um, creating really good content for the user around this topic? And if the answer is yes, it doesn't really matter how long it is. That is incredible. Well, can you tell us just the best way if someone's really interested, what should they do to get in touch with you at Pathfinder SEO? Well, we talked a little bit about the scoring process. And um, so if you've uh, been staying on board here with the podcast, definitely diving in and getting your SEO score is a great place to just sort of see where that low hanging fruit is um, and start to think about what the map would look like um, for your course website and for your business um, to kind of propel forward in 2019. That's awesome. Well, Lindsay Halsey, thanks for coming on the show. It was great to connect. Thanks for helping the course creators level up on SEO because this is important. If you're not found or not optimized, it, you know, it has a big impact. So uh, thanks for sharing your wisdom with us here today. Thanks for your time. That was fun. And that's a wrap for this episode of LMS Cast. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I hope you enjoyed the show. This show was brought to you by Lifter LMS, the number one tool for creating, selling, and protecting engaging online courses to help you get more revenue, freedom, and impact in your life. Head on over to lifterlms.com and get the best gear for your course creator journey. Let's build the most engaging results getting courses on the internet.